Hello, and welcome to the Vineyard Bowling Green podcast, found exclusively on our Vineyard Bowling Green app. We hope you enjoy this week's message and look forward to seeing you this Sunday. In your name we pray and everybody said, amen. Give it up to Bobby and the boys, right? I guess that's the, that's the name, Bobby and the boys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, so this morning I want to talk about faith. All right, um, I was reading in Matthew a couple of weeks ago, and starting next week we'll start we'll start in Advent, and uh, we we had a uh, you know just kind of a break in between series and stuff to talk for a couple of weeks, and you know shout out to Garrett he did a great job last week, and um, Garrett's a very close friend of mine, very very smart guy, loves Jesus, loves this church, loves people. We'd love to come every week. Um, it's just you know it's hard for him being that far away, but. Um, he prays for our church. He talks about you guys. He always is asking about you guys. His heart is very much invested in this church. And so I, I love it when he gets to come and speak. But um, but uh, I was reading a couple weeks ago in Matthew just on my own and noticed something in the two stories about the storms, okay? In Matthew 14, it's the story where Jesus rebukes Peter. So as the disciples cross the Sea of Galilee, a big storm comes and they are afraid that they're going to drown, they're going to go overboard, whatever it is. And earlier in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 8, we read a very similar story because a very similar storm had rolled in and threatened their lives. They're afraid they're going to drown. The boat was going to capsize, all that stuff. And Jesus calmed that storm in Matthew chapter 8. But this time Jesus is not with them, right? He stayed on the shore to pray and they're in this small boat, and they're on this stormy sea, and uh, Jesus wasn't there to calm the storm. So when Jesus is done praying, though, he gets up and he walks on water to the disciples' boat, and when the disciples see him, some are afraid, right? They don't know what it is. They're like, is this a ghost? And Peter's like, I think it's Jesus. Jesus, is this you? Lord, is this you? Right? He asked, he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water, and Jesus says, Come. So, of course, we, if you don't know, Peter steps out, gets on the water, and starts walking. And next thing you know, he starts, you know, Peter's brain starts to kick in a little bit, right? He starts to look at all the, the impossibilities and, and begins to uh, realize what he is doing is actually pretty impossible. And he begins calculating all of the necessary possibilities, right? He calculates the wind, the depth of the sea, the waves, and his logic and faith, they begin to waver, right? They begin to go back and forth. And next thing you know, he loses faith in what he is doing, loses faith and confidence in himself, loses faith and begins to sink, right? We know this. And Jesus saves him and says to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Okay, so we know that story. But for some reason, it just hit me a couple weeks ago. What about the other disciples still in the boat? right? What about them? If Peter is a man of little faith, then what are they? What are they? Furthermore, if Peter's faith, which got him to step out onto a boat in a howling storm, was little faith, then what does great faith look like? So I started to think about Jesus, and where, where in the Bible does it talk about great faith in the New Testament with Jesus, in the stories of Jesus? And so I started thinking about a story that reminded me in Luke chapter 7, when Jesus encounters a man who had great faith, and it comes from a shocking person 
but it produces some of the greatest truths that we have in the Bible. And it's a story from Luke that I want us to read this morning and look into a little bit. It's a great refresher for me and offered a strong moment of reflection for me in my life. But it's a simple story, but one that leaves me inspired by the simplicity. I think sometimes we can overcomplicate things and and get ourselves in the weeds and try to find every little complex variable in the New Testament to make it just feel just brand new and perfect. And sometimes we forget to zoom out and think, that's just a good story of faith. And so that's what happened to me as I read this in Luke chapter 7. Um, Let's go ahead and put it up. Luke chapter 7, verse 1 through 10. I'm going to have to get over here and see this. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant whose masters valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. That's important, okay? So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So, there is our example of great faith. So Jesus has finished teaching In Luke chapter 6, now he enters Capernaum, a small fishing village near the Sea of Galilee. And this is where Jesus spent a lot of his time, right? He performed many of his miracles here. And there was a centurion that lived there and had this servant that was sick, right? So we just read that. And, And these guys, these Roman army officers, they generally commanded about 100 soldiers. And most of them were Gentiles, right? Not all of them, but most of them were Gentiles. Sometimes they were half Jewish, half Samaritan, half Gentile. So these these people were kind of despised for the most part by the Jewish people. Not only were the centurions symbolic of Roman rule, they oftentimes abused their power and they took unjust liberties. But that's not the case here at all. In this story, we do get a few details that allow us to paint a bigger picture of who this soldier, who this leader was. It allows us to to paint a bigger picture, presumably, of what his character was like. We get a glimpse of his character here. When we read that he had a servant who was dear to him, first of all, that's something to think about right there. The word dear literally means he was held in high honor or value. He was held in high honor or value. And such compassion on a servant was unheard of at this time. It was unheard of at this time. The fact that the centurion cared so much for the servant set him apart from the typical Roman soldier at the time. Um, who These guys on record for the most part, uh, they, were, they were pretty brutal to their servants. They were pretty brutal to their servants. The average... Um, 
the average person really had no regard for the servant um, at the time. And as I studied the relation between Roman officers and their studies, I read some, some pretty horrific things here. Some pretty horrific things. And, and I don't think it's appropriate or really necessary to add that to the story and to share them. But trust me, I promise you, most Romans did not treat their servants well at all. At all. So that was the culture of the day. And that was normal. Okay, that was the culture and that was normal. But this, there's something different about this guy. There's something different about this centurion here who cared for his servant. And this dear servant became sick. And he's like really sick. And, and this story is also in, in the Gospel of Matthew as well, in Matthew chapter 8. And we see, in, in, they go into a little bit more detail about the servant's condition in the Gospel of Matthew. And he's apparently in really, really great pain great torment. So the servant is in pain and this centurion shows compassion and wants him to be healed. So he sends people to ask Jesus to heal his servant. He sends people to ask Jesus to heal his servant. So this reveals great confidence in, in, in Christ when instead he says to the word, he says the word and my servant will be healed. Okay, this instills great confidence that he has in Christ when he says just say the word and my servant will be healed. So not only are we crossing cultures here, not only are we crossing um, com- completely just, you know, the, the, the Jews and the Gentiles and the whole thing that existed at the time, right? He has an amazing amount of faith in the person of Jesus here. He's also in a moment of desperation, right? He's shown compassion. He cares for this guy. And he says, you know what? You just say the word and my servant will be healed. And these words are imperative. Say the word and my servant. That shows a tremendous amount of faith right there, right? And when Jesus hears the words spoken by the centurion's friend, he, 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 he marveled and turned around. Jesus is so shocked, so shocked at what he hears. He was stopped. He is walking along towards the centurion's house and he says, you don't even have to go in there. Don't even come into my house. Not worthy of that. Don't come into my roof. Don't come under my roof. I'm not worthy of that. And he says, just say the word and he will be healed. And so Jesus is so shocked at the man's faith, he turns to the crowd and he says, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. So what a great simple story and honest display of faith here. It's a simple story of an honest display of faith here. And as I read this in the two stories of Jesus with the disciples in the storm, it made me consider the reasons we need great faith. The reasons why we need great faith. And how do we get an honest evaluation of our faith? How do we kind of look at ourselves, look at our lives, and day to day just kind of check, like, where's my faith meter at? How do I respond with such faith? How do I build such faith in my day-to-day life? And what I've learned is that we don't const- if we don't constantly exercise faith, if we aren't constantly practicing our faith and stretching our faith and taking risk, it seems we almost have to relearn the faith process when that emergency comes, when we're in that time of need, right? It seems like we got to relearn and put kind of a new trust in God when that time when that emergency comes or whatever it is. And for me, faith is very useful 
in our day-to-day life. And absolutely, it, there are moments that our faith is, it, it, it grows and it's exercised in emergencies and, and, and when people are sick and we need these great moments of faith, absolutely. But also it's in our day-to-day walk with Jesus how we practice our faith and how we exercise our faith and how we build our faith, not just in the times of need, not just in the times of emergencies. And what I've learned, and it's pretty obvious, is that faith and hope are connected. And faith produces hope. And it's really hard for me to produce or manufacture hope. We've talked about this a couple times this year. And it's really hard to do that. But first, if we see that our hope is kind of lacking, I think we need to first and look at our faith. I think we need to start with our faith. And this covers faith in all areas, okay? Because I believe my faith in God absolutely corresponds with my faith, with faith in myself, with my faith in humanity, with my faith in you guys, with my faith in the future, in the world, etc. I think it absolutely corresponds the health and the meter of my faith with my relationship with the Lord. It corresponds to how I have faith and hope for the future. Absolutely. And there are definitely days and times in my life when I want to have so much faith, but we're all wired a little bit different, right? Some of us are more optimistic than others. Some of us are more negative than others. Some of us can be more cynical than others. How many other cynical people do we have out there? I'm that guy. I can be that cynical guy, okay? And sometimes that cynicism speaks pretty loud in my life. And not necessarily cynicism in God, but my faith in myself sometimes, right? my faith in my dreams, my faith in the world, my purpose, etc., or my faith in a situation, um, or maybe my faith in someone else. I have to ask myself and challenge myself, dare I hope again? Has anybody else been in that situation before? Should I hope again? Dare I do it? Dare I hope again? Dare I have faith again? Dare I take a risk again? Do I step out in faith again? Because our cynicism can kind of step up. Maybe we've had a failed experiment. Maybe we've had a a bad experience in our life. And our faith kind of gets knocked down just little by little. Maybe relationships have cost you to lose faith in people again. Right? And there have been many descriptions of faith, whether it's religious or secular or whatever. But St. Aslam of Canterbury captures a great essence of faith in this way. And he says this. He says, I do not seek to understand so that I may believe. So he says this. I do not seek to understand so that I may believe, but I believe so that I may understand. And what is more, I believe that unless I do believe, I shall not understand. So the foundations of faith and hope, I believe, are significant to remind ourselves. And the foundations of faith, it means to trust. Okay, so the foundation of faith, it means to trust. And is typically defined as a belief in which expresses confidence in the truth. Okay, confidence in the truth, confidence in the value or the accuracy of something or someone with the absence of variable justification or logical proof. Okay, I'm going to say that again. 
Faith means to trust and is typically defined as, especially in our actions, it's defined as a belief in which expresses confidence in the truth, the value or accuracy of something or someone with the absence of verifiable justification or logical proof. That's why Christians are kind of crazy. That's why Christians can be kind of crazy, right? So on the grounds of faith, it leans more to an expression of the current state of affairs. Okay, it leans more to the current state of affairs, of the present state of affairs. I'm in need, therefore my faith is in play right now. I'm in need of something, therefore my faith is in play. I'm trusting in something. Right now, of course, we are always in need of God, and 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 this is an ongoing thing, and our faith is always in play as believers. But let's take a second, and now let's add in the variable of hope. Okay, let's add in hope and what hope looks like as it 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 corresponds so much with faith, because hope is described a little bit differently. It's not necessarily about trust, but it's more about expectation. Hope is more about expectation. In the Greek and Hebrew, hope means to expect. Okay? So hope is directed intentionally. Okay? Hope might be best understood as a confident expectation in the achievement of a desired state of affairs. It's an example of anticipated fulfillment of intention. Okay? So what does this mean? What am I saying here? Faith is something you possess in the present moment and it reflects a desired intention. Okay? Hope is, is the anticipated fulfillment of that intention. So it deals with the future state of affairs. So hope, let's do it this way. Hope is the channel. Hope is the gateway. Hope is the roadway. It's the path for your faith to walk on. It's, it, it's the path which our faith is activated. The road is hope, but the vehicle is faith. Does that make sense? The road is hope, but the vehicle is faith. Therefore, when we lack hope, and this is what I'm getting at, this is where it's important. When we lack hope, and this is where it's very practical to me at least, where we lack hope, or we feel like we are on the pathway just walking along, or we feel lost, it's not necessary lack of hope. And for the longest time, I was praying for more hope and thinking I had an issue with hope. It wasn't the pathway. It was the fact that I was lacking faith. It was the fact that I was lacking faith. It wasn't the road. It was the vehicle of faith that was lacking. The wheels were not turning in my faith walk with the Lord. I wasn't ready to take that risk and to move forward, forward and put my foot on the gas. Instead, I'm looking at a road and going, oh, that's so loud. Right? And so I think faith, it, was a, it is what allows us to have hope. Faith in something is what steers us into something. And so I have to have faith, right? If, I, if therefore I want to hope. I have faith, therefore I trust. Whether it's logical or not, I have faith, I have trust. And not only do I have trust, I then get hope because I have an expectation that this trust in God will be delivered in the future for something. And this is something that I have to remind myself of because it's so important for our day-to-day -day life. 
It's so important for our day-to-day life. Our faith is, it produces so much for us. It produces so much for us, and it's something that has to be practiced. And we have opportunities each day to apply our faith and produce hope in the world. But it's normal for it to be tested. It's normal for it to be challenged. It's normal for it to kind of hit a wall at times. And we can't just say, I have no hope, because that's been a reaction that I've had. I have to then go, where's my faith at? Right now in this situation. When I look across the room, do I know that God can invade heaven or God, that heaven can invade earth right now in this situation? Do I have faith in that? And we have to challenge ourselves with that mentality of great faith that Jesus can do great things still today. And that allows us to have this energy to push forward for the future. It allows us to gain confidence, but it's something that has to be practiced. It's something that has to be practiced. And something that we see here is this centurion. We didn't go into great, great details because of time, but the culture is really, really important there. His good relationship, his good diplomacy created an opportunity for a miracle to come forward. His reaching out, his relationships with the Jewish people, they said, this guy's great. He built our synagogue, right? This guy's great. He's great to his servant, right? An opportunity exists every single day for us to exercise our faith inside of our relationships. Because faith is something that is to be practiced. It's also something that gets tested. And oftentimes, what I've seen happen in the culture of the church, especially in more like charismatic type of churches, is faith gets tested and people run from it and just go to another direction. Faith gets challenged, they just run from it and go from another direction. Right? But we're going to read here in James. We're going to read all of James chapter 1 this morning because there's no sense in me trying to paraphrase what it says when we can just read it, right? It's a powerful passage of faith here. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion greetings, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given and and will be given him. But let Him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. If he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways, let the lowly brothers boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived gifts, births to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of fruits first of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away at once forgets what he was like and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves being no hearer, who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans, in widows, in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So I want to close with that. That as we need hope in our day-to-day life, as we need hope to look at our life and to find significance, to find purpose, to find calling, we have to look at our faith. We have to exercise our faith in the moment. Oftentimes, whenever I'm, I'm a, um, you get stuck in a crossroads or you get stuck in a situ- situation that can take faith in the Lord, you can get stuck in a situation where you need a miracle from the Lord. You need, you need an encounter from God. And there's been this void of you trusting him. There's been this void of you going, you know what? I, I recognize that this is you and I'm going to pursue it. It can oftentimes lead to a much longer transaction of seeing the Lord show up in your life. And so this morning, I want us to encourage, I want to encourage you right now, especially today in our culture, in our society, where I feel like through the conversations I'm having with people, to the conversations I see online, to the conversations that you just hear in the background, that when you look to the future, there's a little bit of, uh, I don't really know. I don't really know. Everybody's bickering. Everybody's fighting. Everybody can't get along. Seems like if you're for this, you're against this. If you're against this, you're for this. And all these things, and we kind of just put people into these little categories of boxes. And I like you, I dislike you, you're okay, you're not bad, you're kind of in the middle, whatever. And we kind of categorize all these relationships and people. 
And we have to have a kind of hope. We have to have the kind of relationship that the centurion had. We got to have that kind of faith. He's a person of faith. We got to have that faith that, you know what, today in this culture right now, the church is strong. That I'm a powerful believer. That I can make an influence right now. That I can do some good. That I'm going to, it says in James 1 that we just read, that I'm going to listen to people and I'm not going to be quick to speak. And through these actions, we get to interject faith, hope, and love into people. It's a contagious thing. And so for the longest time, the biggest takeaway here is, is for me especially, is that I put so much emphasis on hope, so much prayer and hope, without particularly looking at my faith, thinking my faith was just good but my faith has to be exercised. And how is my faith exercised? By relationships. By having people over in my home. By being a good neighbor. By, te- by checking in. By putting risk and faith into other people. That's so important right now, and it's so key right now. You know, we're just coming off of talking about going and doing, right? Oftentimes, the biggest thing that holds us back from going and doing is faith. It's faith that God is going to intervene in that risk, in that step, in that, in that moving forward. And so I encourage everybody this morning, let's take a look at our faith. We know that God's going to show up. Okay, we know that God's going to show up in ways. Okay, like Jesus, like Peter on the water, he fell, Jesus is there, right? We know that God's going to show up for us. But how do we view the future, the world? How do we view things right now? Do we lack hope? Because if so, we need to check and see what our faith looks like. Amen? Bobby, come on up. Or whoever. Is everybody coming up? I'm just Bobby.